Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So did our ongoing drought, ongoing drought affect your uh, vegetable garden plans this year? That one day a week watering has to make it tough. You know, there are some drought-resistant veggies you can try if you want to, uh, you know, if you've been holding off. Uh, lima beans, for one, although I can't remember the last time I had one unless one of you snuck it into your three-bean salad at a potluck. Actually, I found a special variety of tomatoes and even a watermelon that can do well with a minimum of water. Summer squash, pole beans, and corn are supposed to be drought tolerant, but whether or not you can start them in a drought is a question for our resident specialist. I sat in on a Camrosa uh, Water District town hall last week where they explained the situation uh, very straight, in a very straightforward way, and people got to ask all their questions. Uh, it was very well handled, but not really very hopeful for the near term. Adequate infrastructure and new reservoirs have been put on the back burner in this state for decades. Now, I guess I've been living in a bubble, but I had no idea that 50% of California's water is allotted to environmental issues, uh, things like the Delta smelt and wetlands. 40% goes to agriculture, and farmers deserve every drop they can get. Uh, and the 10% that's left, uh, that's for you and I to use. That's what we have to live on. You can scratch your head all you want wondering how, uh, you know, about the logic of that, but you don't have to be a rocket scientist to sense that, that something is skewed here. The details get complicated and political, but the, the bottom line is that it all seems to be a top-down issue. You know, as, a Christians, as Christians in ministry, we're in the middle of another drought that's going to be just as hard to solve, but this one won't require a ballot measure because uh, we're already on the same page. I'm talking about the spiritual drought we've been seeing in our own local congregations. Uh, it was in the news again last week when a Gallup poll found that Americans' belief in God has dipped to the lowest level since they started polling that question back in 1944. Faith in God hung in there over 90% for most of that time, uh, all the time since, really, until 2016. And that year it dipped to 89% and then 87%. And now in 2022, just 81% of Americans say they believe in God. The group least likely to believe? Younger, liberal Americans. The ones we already know are probably the least likely to see in church on Sunday. Along with the shrinking of God believers, the number of nuns has been steadily growing. No, not those nuns. Not the nuns in the habit. No, these nuns have gotten out of the habit of attending church and and professing the faith that they may have been raised in when they were young. These are the people who answer none when questioned about what religion they're affiliated with. Uh, a Pew Research study last December found that three out of 10 uh, US adults are now religiously unaffiliated. Three out of 10, 30%, and the number is climbing. The majority of the nuns say they simply don't believe anymore, that they've become disenchanted with religion. It's an odd word to use with religion, right? Disenchanted, like, like you're enchanted in some magical way by it. It's not magic at all. Um, some say they're just anti-institutional church, and maybe you've heard that. I sure have. Others say they're unaffiliated but still religious, and still others say they're spiritual but not religious. A lot of them were led away from faith during their college years. Others were influenced by watching too many Christians doing unchristian things. Where do you begin to sort all that out? Well, we need help. 
God can send the rain to help us with our climate drought, but he won't fix our lack of planning for it. And he's already sent his spirit to help us in our times of spiritual drought. We just have to remember how to tap into it. Paul's writing to first century believers who are struggling with their new Christian faith this morning. And there are lessons there for us. You know, being part of a faith community, that should be an exciting time. Uh, it should get you all fired up. Uh, learning about all the gifts of the Spirit we've been given and watching them manifest themselves in us so that, you know, we won't be the people that other people use as an excuse uh, to separate themselves from the faith. We plant a garden these days and then we have to pray for a speedy crop to appear at least before the neighbors catch us out there in midnight with a hose, right, trying to turn dry, cracked soil into something a little more seed-friendly. We often wish that the fruits of the Spirit would appear instantaneously in our lives, making us more loving and joyful or generous people. But just like a quality fruit or vegetable, it all takes time and hard work. The potential is there in the seed that was planted even before the baptismal water dried. But maturing into the whole package that God wants us to be, that he intends for us with deep roots. That takes time. We receive the Spirit's gifts as a potential, very real in God's free gift. But even the Spirit's fruit can have a hard time surviving in a hostile environment, you know, like a drought of irregular worship attendance or lack of Bible study or service in God's kingdom. Unconnected, uh, disconnected, we, we can lose that, that tug of war we're in. You know, as we've worked our way through Galatians over the past few weeks, we've been talking about Paul's assurance that the law has no claim on believers. It used to be a master accuser, but no longer. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. And for the Galatians who were experiencing the freedom from that burden, it was for the very first time. Now, the Jews had been freed from their law. The, the Gentiles had been freed from their idols and were actually being welcomed into this new Christian church. They were all struggling with the implications of exactly what that meant in their lives. Their fail to grasp the concept of, of this new freedom of the gospel warranted a series of letters from Paul to the churches. That's what makes up a good part of our New Testament, the Bible. You were called to freedom, brothers, he writes, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And he's addressing real-life, real-time issues that reach across time to us. Uh, as he put it in Romans 6, he says, we're not free to sin, but we've been freed from sin. But we're still not free to cross certain boundaries. We're not free to abuse the moral code, for example, the Ten Commandments. We're not free to engage in what the Bible calls carnality, uh, indulging in the pleasures of the flesh just for the sake of indulging. And that's what was happening. Some people interpreted this gospel freedom to mean they'd just been given a free pass to do whatever they pleased. The morality and flawed thinking of those ancient societies really wasn't all that different from our society today. So if the law no longer drives believers to, to right or wrong through its accusing power, what does? Well, since coming to faith, we're guided by something better, something more. Now we're held and, and driven by love. Paul says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the liberty we enjoy in Christian, as Christians isn't uh, a liberty to sin all the more. Now we live for love, to reach out in love, to serve others in love, to serve God in love, even when it's not convenient. See, love finds a way. Our hearts indwelled with God's Holy Spirit have become the base of operation from which we reach out and serve others. 
Through love, Paul says, serve one another. The word he uses for serve means to serve as a slave. The slaves serve other people. That's Paul's summary of the Christian life. You know, we, we, we have been called to serve, saved to serve. And Jesus himself set the tone when he said, follow me. Remember, the Galatians were torn between Paul's gospel and, a, and one that a group called the Judaizers were bringing with them. Um, they claimed that Paul's gospel fell short. Uh, if you wanted to really be saved, believers in Jesus still had to keep all those, those uh, minutiae, the Old Testament law, the, the rites and the rituals and things. And you have to admit, having something to do besides just believing that Jesus did it all for us does appeal to our reason. Our reasons as fallen as the rest of us. Uh, right or wrong, just like it appealed to theirs. It made sense. It was wrong, but it made sense. You can't help but appreciate Paul's skills, how he attacks it. He recognizes where they're coming from, and that's where he starts. He's saying, okay, you want to keep the law? Keep it. But know this, the law can be reduced to just one word, love. Even more, love your neighbor as yourself. You know where that first comes from in the Bible? Well, the preschool answer is Jesus, right? And that's true. Jesus says it more than once. But it first shows up in the Old Testament book of the law called Leviticus. It's, it's right in between all these little rules and regulations and, and uh, section on sexual immorality even. And all of a sudden, there it is. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, as long as you love your neighbor as yourself, there's no need for a whole legalistic list of rules and regulations, is there? Love won't commit murder. Love won't commit adultery. Love won't steal. Love won't cheat or lie or even covet what someone else has. In fact, love will convert the law's negatives to life's positives. See, while love won't murder, it will pick up a stranger lying along the side of the road who's been beaten and robbed and left for dead. A love will, that carry, will carry that person to a place where they can receive first aid and food and shelter and love will pay for any expenses incurred in their care and it will return to pay for any additional expenses in the future that's jesus parable of the good samaritan you know love will look out for a neighbor and help him protect his family and, and keep what he owns without expecting anything in return love will anticipate a poor man's needs and it will be swift to speak well of others always looking for positives you know, Paul's saying, who needs the law when there's love? You know, love your neighbor. That's all the law you'll ever need. You know, you'll still have arguments. You'll still have disagreements. You're not perfect. Just watch out that when those things happen, you don't consume one another. He says to these new Christians, and of course to us, walk by the Spirit. You know, those seeds to keep the law of love were planted in some pretty hostile territory. Uh, soil where tempers get too hot where our concern for, for the good of others is often too cold, where the nutrients needed to, to enrich that soil are about as plentiful as water is in the desert, or my backyard. <laughs> but Paul isn't going to ask something of us that's impossible. He says, walk by the Spirit. In other words, be like Jesus. And he knows that God has made it possible for redeemed sinners like us to be like Jesus. Not perfectly, of course, but in practice, we can certainly be better than the sinful people we were born. A person ruled by his sinful nature has no hope of redemption. There's not a thing he or she can do to redeem themselves. Any attempt to please God by keeping his law is bound to fail because you know, we can never be good enough 
or do enough to please a holy, perfect God. The good news is that God made man with a God-shaped space, and, and our hearts are to be the home of his Holy Spirit. And if we'll just put our own thoughts and desires about how we think things ought to be aside for a minute, if we allow the Spirit to do his work in us, we'll begin to radiate God. We'll become a living package so filled with goodness and fruit that we'll attract others to God. And people will no longer see the things that come naturally. You know, at least not as often. And Paul lists some of them. You know, some of our most familiar companions, maybe. Things like immorality, and idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, envy, uh, dissensions and divisions. These things will be replaced by the things that of God that don't come naturally, like new friends or new acquaintances, better companions, will be reshaped by God, molded into people who much more resemble Christ. Our fruit will look like the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruits of the law, really, when they're boiled down to their essence, which is love. Uh, but it's not easy, though. It's not natural. It's hard work. There's a constant battle going on for the control of your heart, a battle of the flesh against the spirit. When you were first brought to faith, whether you were born again at the waters of the baptismal font or at the Lord's own table in communion or through hearing or reading his word, a miracle occurred. More than one miracle, really. The old man within us, sometimes called the old Adam in the Bible, was uh, sort of pushed off his throne in your heart and drowned. The old man who could do nothing right. The old nature that never wanted to. His role was replaced by Christ's rule through the Spirit. And along with your new life, you were given a new attitude. The hot, dry, inhospitable soil became fresh, moist, fertile ground. The kind of ground that welcomed new life and the kind of ground in which the Spirit's seeds could grow and prosper. And I wish I could tell you that you lived happily forever after that, but we both know it's not the end of the story. Well, the battle goes on every day and every night. We know that, from, we know that the, the story will eventually reach you know, the, the greatest happy ever after ending of any book ever written because along with your new birth, you received the promise of a new home with a heavenly father whose unconditional love will sustain you until the day you're freed from this sinful, fallen world. The war was won in Calvary. The old nature refuses to take the news lying down. See, coming to faith is the beginning of a lifelong battle in which you'll win some skirmishes and you'll lose some skirmishes. And on those days when you feel like you fought hard and you still lost, remember your baptism. Remember who you really are, a child of the one true God. And remember whose you are, son or daughter of the king who will always forgive a repentant heart for Jesus' sake and strengthen your resolve to get out and fight the battle another day. And in another day and another day until the day comes when we never have to face another battle again because free from these sinful bodies and freed from these sinful fallen world, we can finally be all God created us to be in Christ Jesus. The day we'll see him face to face. You know, Paul finishes this morning, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's not Paul's way to ask us uh, the impossible. He's not trying to set us up for failure here. Even Jesus says, follow me. And so we have a choice every single day 
We can choose to follow Jesus, led and empowered and enabled by the Spirit, or we can follow the shadow of the law. We can follow our dark side, the old man within us who didn't say drowned at all, but revived for return engagement. And his love for us, God also gave us a free will. We can choose who we'll follow. And if we refuse to allow the old flesh to indulge its sinful side, the new man will embrace our religious side. And that'll get us up and out of bed into church every Sunday morning. And it'll, it'll sing in the choir. It'll teach a Sunday school class. It'll get involved on a committee or in congregational leadership or volunteer at vacation Bible school. It will rejoice in the gifts of the Spirit and visit shut-ins and be an encourager and a prayer warrior, and it will follow Jesus. It will reflect on the outside that gratitude uh, for salvation that burns so brightly on the inside. And people will see some of Christ in you and, and be drawn to that light. It's a lot easier than growing juicy, fresh vegetables without water. And it may not be the wide road that most of the world is following, but it's the one that will get you home at last. So who needs the law when there's love? Amen. And now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, we'll take a moment now to uh, receive your gifts, your tithes, and your offerings as we prepare for communion. <laughs> 